0: Okay, um, let's pray for a message tonight, okay? Father, in the wonderful, wonderful name of Jesus, we come to you tonight by way of the cross. We ask tonight for a work of your holy Spirit that we might be able to behold the man Jesus of who He was and who He is, and that we might see Him in His fullness so that we would come to understand how that we can enter into that fullness of who You would have us to be. Help us, O Lord, tonight that we will set our eyes and our hearts before You That our heart would be centered upon your word, your will, and your way. We desire so much to be conformed to the image of Christ. To be transformed into his very image and his very likeness. And so Lord tonight we pray that by your spirit. That the words that are taught will edify your people of faith. And we ask this. In the wonderful name of Jesus, who is Lord. Amen. Okay, tonight, um, I'm going to introduce our lesson with a word that David said in Psalm 16 and 8. Where David said, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because He's at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. I have set the Lord continually before me. That sets the stage for a question that I want to ask. I want to address the question should Christians meditate? And if the answer is yes, then what insights can we learn? from our Jewish roots. I remember a dear student back when I had my school, the International School of Evangelism, and after several class meetings, she would come up and she would talk to me and she would ask me to pray with her. And she was struggling. She was struggling because in her spiritual quest, she had actively pursued various courses of meditation to the point that she had traveled to India, and the purpose was was to be initiated by a guru. And she would say to me, Brother Joe, you know, I hear what you're teaching, and it bears witness to my spirit, but my mind is battling me. I'm experiencing so much confusion that I just can't seem to lay hold on it. So would you pray for me? Well, it took time, but the Lord healed her, and she did become an effective witness. Many of us, when we think of meditation, we picture that kind of Eastern meditation, that type of spirituality, which is entered in, in one form or another, in what we know as the New Age movement. And in the past year, that movement has actually been taken to a completely new level by Believe it or not, some churches are now worshiping in the metaverse. I mean, they actually put on their 3D glasses. They become an avatar, and they're connecting with others in the cosmos. So it's a legitimate question to ask. Should Christians meditate? Now, let me share this with you. God's greatest desire for you and for me is that we be increasingly conformed and transformed into the image of His Son. How do we do that? How do we live as He lived? How do we love as He loved? One of the keys to being shaped into the image of God's Son is to allow Scripture to develop in us the mind of Christ. It will do so... Through our thoughts, through the ideas, and through the images that enter our mind. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? We have the mind of Christ. First so, Corinthians 2 and verse 16. And let this same mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, Messiah. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. So tonight I want to try to explain... This truth by showing what meditation is, the very thing that connects us to the mind of Christ. You see, our bodies were once the residents of selfishness. We belong to the flesh. I know none of us can recall at birth, but at birth and shortly thereafter, we immediately developed this spirit of, give me. I want. I gotta have. Now, I understand that some, you know, have had a hard time outgrowing that. But now that we are Christians, our bodies is a a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's where God dwells. Spirituality is not something that focuses on some altered state of consciousness. Rather, it is a way of walking. Spirituality is not trying to get into a state of bliss, it is an issue of just walking in faithfulness. It's walking in a path on a daily basis that will transform us. It's a spirit-led process. And that spirit-led process renews and restores. Now, I want to say something, and it's not intended to offend anyone. Actually, it's intended to inform us. The goal of biblical spirituality is not ecstatic experiences, but an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Spirit manifestations, ecstatic experiences, uh, these are all great. I mean, we've all had them at one time or another by the grace of God at various points in our life. And they are perfectly wonderful. But guess what? They do not transform us. How do I know? Well, you could have attended every healing crusade carried on by Catherine Coleman, Benny Hinn, Oral Roberts, Kenneth Copeland. Make your own list. You could witness miracle after miracle, night after night, and the miracle witnessing would not transform you. What's the proof? Well, did Jesus not preach the tens of thousands, beginning at the Sea of Galilee? Thousands upon thousands witnessed miracles. Even thousands experienced a miracle. I mean, feeding the 5,000 and then 4,000, well, that's 9,000 that received a miracle. And yet, only 120 followed Him to Jerusalem, to the upper room, prior to Pentecost. See, we are transformed in a walk, in a journey. Yes, my message tonight is on meditation, but it begins with spirituality. The spirituality where Christ is at the center and the circumference of our life. A life that is built upon and shaped and centered in the Word of God. Now, in the strict, sense of the word, the biblical faith of Jesus, the biblical faith of the apostles, and the other devout followers of the early disciples really was not a theology. You say, well, what was it? It was a theonomy. Now, you may not have ever heard that word before. So, what's the difference? Theology, theonomy. Theology is man's reflection On God's existence in nature. It's man's attempt to understand God, to explain God, to relate to God. A theonomy begins with God as a given. In the beginning, God. That's where faith begins. That's where relationship with God begins. In the beginning. God, that answers all the other questions. Theology is man's reflection on God's existence in nature. See, it's man's attempt to understand, to explain, and relate to God. So, a theonomy begins with God as a given. We don't try to understand Him. We couldn't explain Him if we tried our best. God has already disclosed his wisdom. You know, the evolutionist has removed God out of creation. He speculates on God. And in his attempt to explain God, he tries to explain a God that he doesn't even know. When did God reveal himself? Well, he revealed himself in every single chapter of the book of Genesis. A story of an individual is God revealing Himself in an event or in a person. He revealed Himself in creation. He revealed Himself in the flood. He revealed Himself in the life of Abraham. And then by delivering 600,000 men plus women and children out of Egyptian bondage. So, we don't try to explain Him. We don't try to... we. What we do or have a reflection of Him, we relate to Him. So, God then came down on Mount Sinai. And then we have a self-disclosure of Him in His will in Holy Scripture that was delivered through Moses. So, the essence of biblical faith is not really theology. a speculating about God's existence trying to figure out God how try to figure out how to come to him how to know him how to understand him that is really the building blocks and the foundation of denominationalism that you see all over the world see it's man's attempt to explain God rather than let God tell in us about himself in his word man's It's man's reflection of God rather than it just being a response to God and who He is. See, God has already made Himself known. He exists, He saves, He reveals, and He wants to rule over us and bring us into the fullness of the blessings that He's prepared for us when He created you in His own image. Now, another point, the Jewish faith of Jesus Did you know that that was theocentric? Well, you may not have ever heard that word before. What does that mean? It means that his faith was God-centered. It was text-oriented. How many times did Jesus quote scripture? Over and over again. Why? Because his life was God-centered and text-oriented. And that's the difference in theology and theonomy. One is a man-centered reflection about God rather than a faithful, God-centered response to God based upon his self-disclosure and his revelation in Scripture. You know, there are those who have graduate degrees in theology, but their only experience with God is they know much about God and they teach about God But in many cases, they don't have a faithful, God-centered life. You can hear some of these every night on TV. Weeks later, you can read about them in the criminal section of the newspaper. Why? Well, they have a graduate degree in theology, but they don't have a God-centered life. They have a man-centered life. A reflection about God. Now, this sets the stage for the discussion I want to make about meditation. Because meditation precisely addresses the issue of being God-centered and text-oriented in our spiritual walk. The Hebrew Scriptures are in a three-fold division. You know the first five books. They're the books of law. Now, and the books of Moses. So when we think of the book of law, you know, law in our culture... It's not a friendly word. It's to many just an antagonistic word. But the Hebrew Bible, the books of law, are really the books of instruction. This is God's manual for how He wants man to live. So that's the first division of the Hebrew Scripture, the first five books of Moses. The second division is the prophets. And that begins with the book of Joshua. And the third division are the writings, and that begins with the book of Psalms. Now, when the book of the prophets begins in the book of Joshua, in the opening words, chapter 1, verse 8, what does he say? This book of the law, Torah, it shall not depart out of your mouth you shall meditate upon it day and night, so that you'll be careful to do all that is written therein, and so you will have good success. That's the beginning of the second division of the Hebrew Scriptures. What are we exhorted to do? To meditate on God's book of instruction. Now, in the third division of Scripture... The writings, that begins with the Psalms. Psalms chapter 1. You know how that opens? What the opening words of the psalmist are? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scoffers. The blessed man is the man who meditates upon the law of Jehovah Day and night. And the blessed man. Well he'll be like a tree. Maybe like a mighty oak. Or a mighty redwood. Planted by the rivers of water. He will bring forth fruit in his season. Its leaf will not wither. And whatsoever the blessed man does. What will be the result? It will prosper. The wicked are not so. So the law here. As used are the first five books. So the better rendering would be, blessed is the man who meditates on God's book of instruction. Because Torah actually means instruction. These are God's words of instruction. And upon them we are to meditate day and night. It shows the crucial role that uh, meditation plays in helping us to be God-centered and text-oriented in our spiritual walk. Some biblical examples. The psalmist said, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old, and I will ponder your work and meditate upon your mighty deeds. Psalm 77, 11 and 12. And what about let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be pleasing, acceptable in thy sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. Psalms 19 and 14. Or I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Psalms 143 in verse 5. We have established that meditation is fundamental to a life of spirituality. It is central to the Hebrew Bible, which is the Hebrew Bible is actually the revelation of God's identity, of God's will, of God's wisdom. You're only going to learn about God actually by reading the Old Testament. The New Testament is the revelation of Jesus Christ and the acts of the apostles. Now, so if you want to learn about God's identity and who He is and what His will is and His wisdom... Well, that's the meditation that the Bible speaks of. The word meditate, as used back there in Joshua 1.8, Psalms chapter 1, it comes from the Hebrew word "hagah." So let's all say "hagah" together. Hagah. Say it, come on. Hagah. It's an important word if you only learn one Hebrew word. Take it from the teacher. Learn Haggah. Learning the word Haggah completely changed my reading of the Bible. So, what does it mean? Well, actually, in the simplest terms, it means to utter or to mutter. It's the sound that a dove makes. I mean, we all growl like bears. But we moan and we moan like doves, Isaiah 59 and 11. This phrase, moan sadly like a dove, is the primary Hebrew word for meditate, for the word hagah. So we moan sadly here in the book of Isaiah like the plaintive sound of a dove, So, Haggah speaks of that low sound, muttering or whispering or meditating. Now, interestingly, Isaiah also uses it to describe the sound of a lion. The sound that a lion makes when he is resting over its prey. You ever seen The Wild Kingdom? Big Cat Diary? The big cat goes and makes the kill. He brings that animal to a place of safety. You can literally just see that heart, those lungs pounding. The purring cat. So, he brings the animal to a place of safety. The pleasure, the delight, the enjoyment, the satisfaction is about to begin. Haggah! The pleasure, the delight, the unexpected joy. That's the Word of God. It's the sound you make when you take the Thanksgiving turkey and dressing out of the oven. I mean, the aroma of those hot yeast rolls and the peach cobbler. Don't have a trouble with that. See? That's the sound of haggah. That's the source of the first two of the Hebrew words for the word meditating. Then let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. Notice the parallelism. Words of my mouth, meditation of my heart. See, meditation and mouth well, they go together. And that's important. And that same parallel exists there in Joshua 1 in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart. Where? From out of my mouth. You shall meditate upon it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do all that is written according therein. Why? Why? so that you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. So what does all this mean to us? Hebrew meditation, unlike Eastern meditation, has content. What's the content? God's words, God's works, God Himself. It's not floating in the metaverse, connecting to the cosmos. See. The Hebrew word for meditation is seen so clearly in psalm sixty three verses one through nine I'm not going to read it, but for your own pleasure, read it psalm sixty three one through nine there you have a picture of content, you have a picture of God himself, you are singing to him, you are praising him, you're bringing attention to him. you see meditation. It's not a concert and a light show. That's entertainment. In Psalm 77 and verse 12, I will meditate upon your works. New Age meditation is contentless. See, the goal of New Age meditation is to just simply empty the mind, to quiet the soul, to quiet the body, to remove all the content. So you sit real quiet and real still Or maybe you sit in a circle with your legs crossed. I'm relaxing now. I'm emptying my mind. That's New Age meditation. One metaphor is to still or quiet the pond of your soul so that there are no ripples in order to perceive your true identity. Now, that kind of meditation, it doesn't bring clarity. It doesn't bring peace. It only brings confusion. The Word of God wants to bring clarity as to who you are based upon whose you are. When we turn inward, what do we see? When we look inward, we only see brokenness. I mean, when we look inward, it's like looking in a fractured mirror. Our soul is cracked, it's broken, it's chipped, it's bent. It's twisted. And if you try to steal or quiet everything and examine your soul, you simply get a reflection of that brokenness, of the confusion and false images. Hebrew meditation, unlike Eastern meditation, number two, has intentional sound. See, unlike New Age meditation, it's not silent. Nor is it some mindless, meaningful repetition of a name of a words or a mantra. It has sound. What's the sound? We are speaking to God. We are speaking of God. We're telling the truth about God, of who He is and what He does. Did you know that uh, Scripture was originally intended to be spoken? Reading silently is a relatively modern event in the history of human civilization. See, the Bible releases power when it is spoken aloud. We've all been uh, in a worship service, and when the Word of God was powerfully preached, were there not always results and amazing results? People hunger to hear the powerful Word of God. It changes people. So, the biblical word for meditation then, haggah, points us to verbalizing our thoughts before God. See, we articulate in some focused or fervent way thoughts of worship, thoughts of wonder, thoughts of praise. And it can occur anywhere at any time. I have set the Lord continually before me. Not just on Sunday morning. Not just here at home group. Because he is at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. Psalms 16 and 8. What we say is so important. Jesus' own words. Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks, or the mouth will speak. Do you know that when Paul encouraged the church in Ephesus, when he said, sing and make melody in the heart, he was not making an argument regarding instrumental music in the church or at a worship service. Men make that argument to the very point in some places actually dividing the body of Christ. Interesting, haggah can actually be translated melody. You see, when we sing, we are expressing the meditation of our heart. Now, we've made two key observations. Biblical meditation has content. It arises from God's words, God's wonders, and God's works, God himself. Biblical meditation also has sound. The Hebrew word for meditation, ha-gah, per, uh points us to verbalizing our thoughts before God. To meditate biblically is to articulate in some focused and fervent way our thoughts of worship, our thoughts of wonder, our thoughts of praise. Now, there's another word, that clarifies the biblical view of meditation, and it's the word siach, S-I-A-C-H. So what's this kind of meditation? Well, it means to go over a matter. It means to contemplate. It means to ponder. It means to go over something, mull it over and over in your mind again and again. Siach can be done inwardly. It can be done outwardly. When it's done inwardly, we call it meditation. We call it contemplation. When it's done outwardly, we just call it conversation. See, Siach has used this conversation or talking. I said, let me remember my song in the night and let me meditate Siach in my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search. Psalm 77 in verse 6. It's an internal reflection. It's bringing your attention to and preoccupying yourself with God now in our reading of the bible we all at one time or another we eventually get to psalms 119 and all everyone knows that's the longest chapter in the bible and what do we do uh, i think i'll pass over this one this time i'll get back to you did you know that psalms 119 yes it's the longest chapter in the bible But it is filled with this idea of meditation from the Hebrew word siach. I mean, it is there so many times. Verse 15, I'll meditate on your precepts. Verse 23, thy servant did meditate on thy statutes. Verse 97, oh, how love I your law. I love your book of instruction. It is my meditation All the day long. So internal reflection of God's Word leads us to just telling truths about God's works. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell Siach of all of His wondrous works. Psalms 105 and verse 2. So it means to engage in conversation. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. My prayer is Siach. Have you ever been to Israel or Brooklyn, New York, or wherever you see Orthodox Jews, people walking down the street, you'll see them muttering under their breath? It's not because they're distracted. It's because they're focused. Well, what are they muttering? They are muttering the Word of God. Now, they're not talking or texting or taking selfies on their phone did you know to be a Puritan pastor back in the day? Uh, when you see a lot of these see all these books around that have green binders on bindings on them? those are all by Puritan pastors. I've got maybe fifty or sixty of them. Most of them are are, are packed away. but to be a Puritan pastor back in the day, think of John Bunyan. uh think of you know uh, John Winthrop, John Edwards. Puritan pastors had to have a knowledge, a working knowledge of both Greek and Hebrew. And a Puritan pastor had to have committed to memory all 150 of the Psalms. Now today, most pastors, well, do you ever recall hearing any of them really quote an entire Psalm? Except maybe the 23rd Psalm. And at times, I even stumble over that. So, now that we have a better understanding of what biblical meditation is, let me answer two final questions. Why should we engage in biblical meditation, and what are the benefits? Why should we do it? Real simple. To become like Christ requires the renewing of the mind. Now, Randy has taught on this so many times. He's called our attention to Romans 12:1 and 2. Probably can quote it forwards and backwards. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of the Lord. So, we've all met born-again Christians, but for some reason they fail to grow up as disciples, to be followers of the Lord much less to be willing to lay down their life for the Lord. See, salvation is a gift, and sanctification is a process of growing in that gift. To be born again is a work of the Spirit. To be transformed, though, into the mind of Christ is a work of the same Spirit. We grow up in the grace and the knowledge in the salvation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So why, then, should Christians meditate? Well, in order to be conformed to the image of Jesus requires developing the mind of Christ. That's a spirit-led process that involves repentance on one hand, renewal on the other. Biblical meditation focuses on the Word of God and thereby restores the true image of who God is. Biblical meditation is the fuel that renews our minds, helping us to take on the thinking of the indwelling Messiah in ever-increasing ways. Our study and meditation of the Word is us hearing and then doing God's Word. And when we do so, we are attributing the highest worth to God. And worship is just that. It's extending worthship to God. I have set the Lord continually be- uh, before me because He is at my right hand. So tonight, I've tried to answer the question, should Christians meditate? I've answered the question, how we should meditate and why? And the why is so important. In order that we be conformed to the image of God, of Christ and be transformed and that can only occur by the renewing of our mind and we have learned the hebrew word for meditation is hagah let's pray lord jesus tonight we are so very grateful that you're constant you're unchanging What bliss we experience knowing that Your Spirit in us is constant and unchanging. Thank You that where Your Spirit is, there is liberty. Lord God, we desire to be created not only in Your image, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might be conformed the very image and the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to always reflect the beauty of Christ. Keep us from looking at anything that would take away from your glory in us. Help us to value your presence in our life more than we value anything else. We want your glory to be reflected in us. Thank you that you have the power to set us free from anything and everything in our life that would keep us from all that you have for us. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.